Today's conversation is the podcast of the National Association of Evangelicals, hosted by Walter Kim, NAE President. In these conversations, we seek to help evangelicals foster thriving communities and to navigate today's complexity with biblical clarity. Today's conversation is with Mild Green, President and CEO of World Relief. The topic, Empowering the Church to Serve the Most Vulnerable. This episode is brought to you by Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company, a leading national provider of ministry-focused insurance and services. Headquartered in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Brotherhood Mutual has a heart for serving the church and keeping ministries thriving. For more information, visit brotherhoodmutual.com. And now, let's join in. I'm Walter Kim, here with Mile Green. Mile is the new president and CEO of World Relief, but he's served within World Relief since 2007, where he first led the development of a new church-based programming model known as Church Empowerment Zones. This has grown from a small pilot program to a global model reaching over 5,000 churches across nine countries. He became World Relief Rwanda Country Director and then transitioned to Africa Regional Director followed by a stint as Developing Countries Unit Director. And most recently, Miles served as World Relief Senior Vice President of International Programs. Clearly, he's been around World Relief a lot, and he's given his life work to serve the most vulnerable. Miles, it's a real pleasure to introduce you and to have you on this podcast. Walter, it's great to be here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation, and thanks for that inter- introduction. So, Mile, you started this role as president and CEO of World Relief in August. And then in mid-August, Haiti experienced a 7.2 magnitude earthquake with over 2,000 people killed and incredible infrastructure damage. And then just a day later, the Taliban gained control over the Afghanistan capital. Chaos erupted. Thousands continue to face violence and persecution. And the images from both places have just been gut-wrenching. What a way to start your tenure as president. How are you doing? How do you handle the weight of the world on your shoulders at this moment? Yeah, well, it, you know, it certainly was an interesting few days there. My, my first day in the role was August 16th, and I'd taken uh, a week or so's vacation right before I started to clear my mind, have that time away, and I was getting ready to kind of plan my week ahead and then Saturday, my phone is going off with news of the earthquake as it's happening in in Haiti and then watching the news with everyone else on Sunday and knowing how much both Haiti and Afghanistan are connected to the work of World Relief. um, I I knew, you know, coming out of that weekend that where my priorities and where the priorities of the organization were going to be focused in those coming days. So it's certainly been an interesting and memorable uh, set of days to begin my time in this role. But I think what's What's exciting and encouraging in the midst of all of this is to see the way the staff and the employees of World Relief have just shown their greatest strengths and their greatest abilities through crisis and responding to crisis. And so for me, I think that's the the most exciting and um, memorable part about this is being part of a team that is full of committed women and men who are very skilled in what they're doing and also care passionately about these issues and are responding. Mile, I always find it interesting to discover the ways that God prepares individuals, uh, whether professionally or personally, for particular roles at particular times. 
So what are some of the ways you sense God has prepared you for this role at this time? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's one I've been reflecting on a lot as you go through a leadership transition. It's a very natural thing to do is think, well, how did I get here and how did I get in that place? And I think from really the very early on in my faith journey, I believe that God was really un- opening up to me and uncovering to me his heart and his care for those people who are facing injustice and difficult circumstances, poverty. And, and I think in that shaping activity in my own development, it was very clear to me that my work and my vocation would be focused there. And so that was always something that just God held, held um, the poor very close to my heart because he holds them very close to his heart. And I think even as I began in my faith, I was always drawn to the scriptures that, that spoke to that, but also to other books and materials that were written by other authors, um, really emphasizing these, these ideas. And so um, that was a big piece. And I also spent eight years living in Rwanda. And I think having that perspective, living in Rwanda, a country that's very much been involved with um, both the difficult circumstances that it went through with the genocide, but also a great model for development and recovery and restoration of a whole nation, I think gives me hope and perspective of really the opportunities that can happen to see um, the church play a key role in the development of a country and care for its people and just the, the possibilities of, of good development. This is a very important time for organizations like World Relief. Uh, World Relief has deep relationships with churches and roots uh, across the world. So, um, with the evolving situation in Afghanistan, it's clear that there's a human humanitarian disaster that will have long-term impacts. What, what do you see World Relief's role in bringing assistance, not only to this tragic situation in Afghanistan, but its impact here in the States as well? Yeah, it's, you know, this is one of those crises that it will be a truly memorable moment um, for all of us who have lived through this season and this time. The images coming out of Afghanistan are heartbreaking. Um, they're really on historic proportions in terms of a refugee crisis that's created just in a matter of, of days. And you know, the U.S. is preparing to welcome refugees at, at a large number, uh, really that haven't been done since uh, at the end of the Vietnam War. And so, really, it's it's a question for us uh, in this country and for the church in this country to really consider um, how are we engaging in this great crisis of the time. And I think there's always a really valuable question for the church, which is, you know, when the world is going through difficulties, how do we choose to respond? And so I see this is is really the the pivotal moment for us to ask the question, who is our neighbor? And, you know, Jesus asked that question um, in his ministry in, in relation to the, you know, who is the person that helped? And so I think really what, what, I would be interested to see and is who do these Afghans that have come to this country, who do they think their neighbor is? And who do they think are the ones that they see offering care and love and assistance and welcome? And is that the church or is that someone else in society? And I think that for us really should be our motivation as we as the church, um, how do we open our arms to people who are really going through the worst days of their life? Um, experiencing some of the most horrible acts of evil and sin against them that people could even imagine. And then they're coming to a new country that's a foreign land. 
Um, they don't speak the language, many of them. They don't know the culture. And are they met with hostility? Or are they met with welcome? And I think that for us is, is really the great opportunity to consider. Um, Romans uh, 12, 21 says to repay evil with good. And for me, that's just a verse that I've gravitated to a lot in these days here where these individuals are fleeing Afghanistan, fleeing evil and fleeing the most difficult circumstances. And are we, we can't fight the Taliban in our suburban neighborhood, but we can show these people love and welcome and care. And so how do we really go against those works that uh, the devil has meant to harm and hurt people and use them for good and, and put our hands of love around people, welcome them and make them part of our society and, and uh, um, really hopefully display who Jesus is to them in, in these interactions that we have with them. You know, the call to love our neighbor is a compelling, uh, and yet it's also a very challenging issue to know how to take practical steps. So how, how can evangelicals, how can churches, uh, how can individuals understand and support Afghan refugees, really refugees in general? That's great. You know, and this is, this is one of the few opportunities for the church to engage in an international crisis with their hands. And, you know, there are going to be tens of thousands of Afghans moving to this country who are coming without a place to live, without material possessions, without um, um, really anything but, but what they could carry onto an airplane. And so, you know, World Relief through our work, we're, we're very active and engaged in um, asking churches to walk right alongside a family is a good neighbor team is the term that we'll use. And that can be everything from helping set up their apartment before they move in, donating supplies. We want to make sure that everyone who comes in to the country to be resettled has a bed to sleep on, some basic furniture, plates, cups, dishes, all those things that are really basic needs. Um, but then also as people have arrived and been in the country, how do we as well um, you know, show, show concern for them, answer the questions that they have, you know, go to the DMV with them, help walk them through the process of getting a driver's license, which is a very difficult and challenging thing for, for anyone to do um, when you go move into a new state, much less move to a whole different country. And so I think that those are the, the things that are there. Uh, the work of World Relief is, is specifically designed to have some pathways that allow churches to engage. And um, that can be served in the ways I've talked about. There are opportunities to give um, ways to even purchase um, supplies on Amazon that these families need, but also ways to use your voice and advocate on behalf of um, those refugees who are arriving, either to the federal government or to your local authorities, really helping to make sure that the policies that we have in place are policies of welcome. You're describing a situation that calls for an immediate crisis response, you know, whether it's helping to set up a, a home or welcoming people at the airport. Uh, but you're also indicating that this might be, and perhaps should be, a long-term engagement. So uh, befriending, you know, helping people navigate the DMV, um, maybe even language issues. Um, am I hearing you correctly that it's not just an immediate crisis response, uh, but there's something longer term at stake here that the church and individuals um, really need to get involved with? Absolutely. And, and what, what we talk about here is at World Relief, a lot of times is having communities of welcome. And so really that is a long-term 
um, mentality and a long-term perspective. So we don't want to just meet these immediate needs of, of people and say, well, you have a place to live. We helped you find your first job. And then um, good luck. We really want to say, you know, this is your new home. We want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel connected. We want you to thrive and succeed. And, and that happens with the work of people and the work of time and getting to know one each other. And that means breaking bread together, um, sitting around in social circumstances and building that social network and that connectedness with people. Uh, but it also means, you know, recognizing that children who have lived through a refugee situation take a long time to adapt and need additional care and support and guidance. Youth especially are, are vulnerable to this and having um, programs to come alongside them in their challenging times are really key and crucial things. And what's amazing is, you know, research has shown that individuals who are settled through the United States' refugee resettlement program, which World Relief is a part of, within 20 years, they paid into the federal government $21,000 more in taxes than they have been given in public assistance to help start them up. And so what it shows is that these are really individuals who you can enter a community um, in a very vulnerable state, but then can become great contributors to the system and the process in their community in really the span of a generation. And so if we can look at these individuals that are coming and say, we want them to be thriving members of our society um, and really want their children to grow up feeling at home and welcome and having the opportunity to thrive, the same opportunities that we've had. And that's a great goal for the, the church to have really to say that we want to see um, ourselves right at the heart of welcoming these people and engaging them and building their um, sense of connectedness to the communities they live in. You've uh, shared a verse already from Romans 12 that motivates you. Are there other passages in scripture, other stories in scripture that particularly capture your imagination uh, in relation to refugees? Yeah, you know, I was I was um, thinking about this the other day, and and really one thing that stands out into my mind that I've been meditating a lot on lately is in Luke chapter four. You know, we know he comes to the synagogue and and declares um, his reason and purpose for being here, and and it's initially met with with great fanfare and cheers, and then he says, "But wait a minute," he says. You know, what I want you to also think about is the case of these two stories that he tells with Elijah and Elisha, one with, with Naaman and the servant girl and the other with um, uh, Elijah with, with the widow. And what we're seeing here is, is two dynamic stories of cross-cultural ministry where people of opposing or deeply different religious and cultural backgrounds must come to interact and engage with one another. And so, you know, this, this story where the servant girl and Naaman, she's um, essentially a trafficked girl who is underneath kind of being held as a slave by Naaman. And she speaks on behalf of um, uh, the people of Israel and says, hey, go and speak to this prophet. And so Naaman, a conqueror, goes and, and, and speaks to this prophet in this situation. And then similarly with, with Elijah and, and the widow, um, they interact with one another and have a mutual dependency on each other. And so I think for us as the church, and as we think about how to serve refugees, as we think how to interact with immigrants, we need to recognize that, yes, there are things that we can offer 
to those who come to our communities, but we also have to be willing to say, what do they offer to me of value? And how am I going to allow them to serve me and transform me and change who I am? And what am I going to learn from them? And what are the great contributions that they have to making our society better? So, so that's just, I think, a story that really, um, and the, the Bible's full of so many cross-cultural, you know, cross-national stories of engagement. But for me, that's just a really poignant example of the fact that here are people in crisis who are fleeing in crisis, much like refugees, but they're able to contribute and serve and support others. Um, so yeah, just some thoughts. Mm. Those stories not only speak of the cross-cultural relationships uh, that relate to refugee resettlement issues, but um, they also speak to uh, profound issues of justice. And I know uh, World Relief works in many countries to bring relief and sustained development. Uh, what's World Relief's presence in Haiti like right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Haiti, as everyone knows, a few weeks ago, um, went through a 7.2 magnitude earthquake in uh, the western part of the country. And the epicenter was in a community called Lakai. And those who, who know Haiti know that the country of Haiti is going through many difficulties right now and has a history of difficulties. And even in the last year has been experiencing uh, a political and an economic crisis ongoing. The president was assassinated. The, the government has struggled to be reformed. Um, and this earthquake happens, which is actually more powerful than the one that hit Port-au-Prince and killed uh, 100,000 people several years ago. But um, it, it also hit the same area that was struck by Hurricane Matthew in 2016. And so World Relief, when that hurricane came through, in 2016, we responded. It was an area of the country we had, we had never really worked in before. It didn't have a long-term relationship, but it was kind of the target of that, that uh, hurricane. And so uh, we went in and, and set up operations there. And we found as soon as we got there, there was a network of local churches who were very committed and engaged in meeting needs. And we came right alongside them. And rather than saying, here's our plan, here's our activities that we're going to do and how we're going to respond. We followed the lead of these churches and they, they really did great work and great engagement. And uh, six months or so later, as we we're concluding that emergency response from the, the earthquake, uh, our country director at the time, a man by the name of Joseph, called me and said, Mile, I need you to come and visit this group. I want to open up a church empowerment zone. And in the introduction, you mentioned these, these church empowerment zones World Relief has all around the world. And so so I went down there with, with um, some other members of our team and Joseph introduced us to these church networks that were at the heart of this response. And it was really, um, I visited church networks like this all around the world. And these were some of the most motivated and committed individuals that were so deeply committed to working across denominational lines to meet the shared needs in their communities. And they even had made their own matching t-shirts with each other and struck out. They said, oh, you know, World Relief comes in with t-shirts. Uh, Tear Fund comes in with t-shirts. We need to have our own t-shirts too. And it didn't matter if, you know, they were a Catholic or um, a Protestant or a Baptist or um, a Pentecostal. They were working together because there were needs in the community and they knew that Jesus cared about those people. And so they responded and we, we set up a five-year relationship in that community and have been working with them since then. And, and we're one of the largest actors in Lakai now. And then that's where the earthquake struck a few weeks ago. It was really a, you know, a tragic event in, in a very um, rural and unpopulated area. There's been more than 2,000 casualties of 
that have died and 15,000 more who have been injured and 80,000 people without homes. And, you know, I got a message from our response team leader there and, and he sent me a, a text message that I got on a, a Sunday night, not long after we'd begun a response there. And he says, and it's a picture of a church that's just in rubble with a group of people sitting in front of that church. And he says, this picture was taken today. It vividly shows the challenge before us, but also the solution. Here's world, the World Relief Team meeting with one of our church networks, planning the upcoming distribution of aid to earthquake victims in their communities. They're meeting in front of a church building heavily damaged by the earthquake. The building may be damaged, but the church is very much alive. And I think that for me is, is really the example of what it means to give out of sacrifice because most of these men had lost their respective church buildings. 38 of the 75 churches we work with in that region collapsed in this earthquake. And many of them lost their homes, but they're out trying to identify and make lists of people who are more vulnerable than they are and meet those needs. And I think that's the role for the church that we really need to learn is saying, how do we see who in the community faces a greater crisis than we do? And how do we meet those needs and respond to them? Wow, that's very inspiring. It's, it's also a deep, deep challenge for us to engage in sacrificial work. Um, but as we engage in sacrificial work, um, that can be really exhausting. And as you engage in this type of work, very complicated, very emotionally taxing, what are some things that you do, maybe rhythms of life that help you sustain your energy, your vision? Yeah, energy and vision are, are two really important things, I think, for any leader that we, um, that we think about and, and, and understand and grapple with. I think for me, you know, on a very human and physical level, sleep is just really key. And I, and I don't diminish that as a rhythm of life and, and the importance of, of trying to get good sleep um, and exercise. And I think those things are actually kind of the, some of the secret weapons I draw on. Um, but also, I think it is the spiritual connectedness and, and finding time, not just for those daily Bible studies, which are so crucial just to kind of keeping us on task and keeping us in rhythm, but, you know, taking a, a moment and a time to step away from the bigger issues, the chaos, the earthquakes, the refugees um, knocking at the door, needing assistance and just saying, you know, am I digging into to the scriptures? Am I reading a new book that's got some new ideas you know, to look at the scriptures in a way I've not looked at them before. Um, how am I seeing things differently than the way that I see them day in and day out? And so for me, I like to take time on a, uh, on a Saturday morning for a few hours and just kind of unplug from the rest of things and look at that um, and, and focus in on new ideas. And I think that just gives me a, a fresh sense coming out of the weekend um, as I step back into whatever's ahead of me. The NAE founded war relief, now world relief, in 1944 as our humanitarian arm. So how do you see world relief's vision and work as similar or different from those early years? Yeah, it's such a, such a great question. Um, and, you know, one of the amazing things about working with, with world relief and, and the NAE is the long history of, you know, the work that's been done of of the ministry uh, of both organizations really and their interconnectedness. But, you know, World Relief, as you said, the War Relief Commission, as it was called, was created in direct response to what was at the time 
largely considered the, the biggest humanitarian crisis the world had ever seen, or at least in, in recent history had kind of recorded and, and understood from a, a global perspective. And the church said, we see war-torn Europe, refugee crisis, destruction. How do we take a part as the church in that response and making a meaningful difference? And, you know, today it's not, it's not that different. We are living through really what is truly the, the greatest humanitarian crisis since World Relief was founded. Um, everyone knows we're living through the pandemic and it can be a cliche almost that, oh, this is the big crisis. Everything's different. There's going to be a new normal. Like how many of these phrases have we heard? But if you look at the human terms, the, the death is catastrophic globally, but even more so are some of the social and economic consequences of what we're seeing. And so since the pandemic began, the, the UN estimates that an additional 150 million people have fallen into the $2 a day or less poverty category, what the UN determines as extreme poverty. And that means that it's reversed 10 years of sustained development. And so there had been a, a downward trend for about 20 years and we've, we've gone backwards to about where the world was 10 years ago. Uh, similarly, um, the World Food Program is reporting you know, unprecedented increases in global hunger as a result of, of some of the social economic consequences here. Children are living in greater vulnerability. Um, tens of millions of children are without any form of education or school because of schools being closed because of the pandemic. We're even seeing issues of child protection eroding around the world. And so really we are living in an incredible time of crisis for the world. And I think the challenge for World Relief is to say, what does it mean for us um, to think of others and to think of expressing our faith to a, a hurting and broken world outside of our own congregations, outside of our own country, outside of our own lived experience, to people who are going through something that is different than our own understanding? And so I think that for me is what just sustains world relief being similar and consistent with wherever we are. And, and I think we're always drawn to this idea of going further, um, you know, even to the ends of the earth and meeting the needs of those who are the furthest behind. And for us, that's just so crucial and, and a driver for who we are. And so I think that, that that is, you know, it's difficult situations, we're living through difficult times, but the good news is the church is there in so many places around the world. And um, you know, the church is God's intended instrument to bring brokenness and restoration to the world. And, and it is the people of Christ who go out and serve as the church to do that. And so, um, you know, that's just what's incredible. And World Relief gives us a chance to work with those churches and partner with them and, and hopefully meet these, meet these needs as best we can. The impulse to empower the church to meet tremendous needs. You, you share how there are some deep similarities, even though maybe the particular circumstances are different. I'm curious also about some of the, um, the work that you've been doing since 2007, uh, as you've worked with World Relief, in the ways that uh, perhaps there've been fresh approaches to longstanding problems. What are some of the things that you are most delighted and proud of in your time with World Relief? Yeah, um, I think, you know, one of the things that always delights me uh, the most is anytime, 
and I get to put on, you know, one of my World Relief t-shirts or, or get in the Land Cruiser with some of my World Relief colleagues, because these are some of the most um, incredible and skilled and gifted women and men around the world who, who really know what they're doing when it comes to meeting the needs of people, uh, whether it's in this country serving refugees and immigrants or, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa. So, so that I think is anytime it's just getting to know our staff is just where I look back and I'm most fond and most excited about and, and being a part of their development to do more. Um, one project that I think really comes to mind, and it was the one you mentioned in the introduction, is World Relief's Church Empowerment Zone model, which is really a, a methodology that when World Relief's mission statement was, was altered uh, 15 years or so ago to read empowering a local church to serve the most vulnerable. Several of us really took that on as, as a calling to say, what does it mean to empower the church? And how is that different than working alongside the church or using volunteers from the church or um, giving the church a grant to do something? What does it mean to really empower the church? And, and so we developed this model and it was really born out of great wisdom of some of my colleagues who were working in Malawi, a, a couple of peers I had in the Rwanda office. And we really all came together and talked about different models and resources there. And at the heart of that was um, a barrier analysis and a very simple question, why does the church not do more to meet the needs in their community? And we really learned several things along the way that I think are applicable um, almost universally, but certainly in you know rural rural Africa, which um, you know the church is is clarity of what's the role of the pastor and what's the role of the church, um, understanding of what is the mission of the church, and oftentimes church leaders will think it's it's my congregation's plan or what the bishop has told me to do, but really it comes down to this idea of missio dei and and what is the role of the church and. And then engaging volunteers and the idea of the priesthood of all believers being a key concept that you want to instill in, in the congregation. And then having unity in the body of Christ and seeing all of the churches of different denominations being able to contribute and support the needs that are really shared problems they face in their communities. And so it's really been bringing that together. And, and so we began that with 150 churches in 2009 in Rwanda. And now we've are either training currently or graduated more than 5,000 churches across nine countries. And, and it's just a tremendous testament to um, the power of the church to meet really incredible needs and seeing the church time and time again respond to their God-given calling once you just reveal a few truths to them and give them some basic skills and, and let the Holy Spirit and their commitment as the church do the rest. And it's really great to see that slight shift in focus is huge in impact. The shift from merely thinking about what does it look like to come alongside the church or to provide grants to the church to actually equipping and empowering the church to engage that work. And you've given us some compelling examples of the fruit that comes out of that. Uh, I know this has been an intense start for you, but what do you look forward to as you um, continue your role as president and CEO? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I've thought a lot about is what does it mean to, to serve our people well? And, and I use people as, as a big term. You know, it is, it is those that we serve, um, program participants, other people would refer to them as, as beneficiaries. Um, but those who the programs are designed most to, to, to serve, 
the volunteers whom we work alongside and the churches. And, and really, you know, it's always my hope and leadership to see that individuals can grow in their capacity to fulfill God's calling for their life in their role that they've got in the organization. And, and so really for our volunteers, for our staff, for the churches that work alongside with it, it's, it's my greatest hope that World Relief just continues to be relevant to um, people who are very committed to the vulnerable, people who are very committed to seeing the church play a mean, more meaningful role in society and grow in their skills and understanding of ways that they can do that on a, a practical daily basis. As we continue to grapple with all sorts of crises that face us, and as we certainly will encounter crises in the future, um, what is a, a final word of encouragement that you would give to the church uh, in moments of crisis as perspective or hope that we could hold on to? Um, I think the, the, uh, the biggest thing is to really find our um, strength and our hope in, in Jesus in, in these trying times, in these difficult times. It's, it's you know, the, these can be dark and challenging days as I've talked about today, but really um, Jesus reminded us in, in John 16 that, you know, in this world we'll have trial and tribulation, but to take our, he has overcome the world or already overcome the world. And so for us, you know, that's, I think, where, where we need to rest and find hope. Um, you know, a set of verses that I've been looking at very carefully are the, the first few verses in, in John 15. And Jesus talks about abiding in him. And really there's, there's two ideas here where he's talking about fruit and, and joy. And oftentimes people miss the joy because so many times he refers to this idea of um, talking about bearing fruit, you know, pruning those that bear fruit, cutting off those that do not. And, and you could think, oh, this is all about bearing fruit. I've got to show fruit for this. But he closes in, in verse eight and he says, I've told you these things so that my joy might be complete in you. And, and so I think that he's, he's saying, I want you to be fruitful so that you're joyful. Not that you've checked something off and that you've addressed something and, and done everything there. And so I think that that for me is just, I think the hope for people is to find um, joy in Christ and, and really find fruitful ways to serve those who are in need. What a powerful thought to conclude on the thought of joy, and, and these are words coming from someone who works in some of the deepest crises uh, with most vulnerable among us. Our guest on today's conversation has been Mile Green. I'm Walter Kim, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Mile. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we help evangelicals foster thriving communities and navigate complexity with biblical clarity. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please sign up for our email list and visit our resource hub at nae.org.